be seated. Uh, we're going to just jump right in. Great to have our online campus with us, those in person here. A lot is, a lot is coming, and I want us to be really, really faithful with that. Today we will conclude as a family and receive communion together, uh, as is the essence of what we're really going to press into in Scripture. So the idea that we're centering around, each week for five weeks, we're centering around these five really central ideas that God has stirred in our hearts over the years that help define who we are. First and foremost, God is not just loving. God is love. And so the first thing that's most important to us is that we become outrageously loving people. It's very aligning to what that means in terms of how to get there today. Passionately pursuing um, is the second central idea or core value, irrationally giving. Uh, we just want to learn to be generous in the way we live our lives and the way we worship our God with our giving. Uh, I just thought uh, Pastor A.T. did an outstanding job in what he brought last week. He was so rich. Man, I just encourage you, um, if you did not get to hear that, you need to go back and hear it because, it, again, I just reiterate, it flies in the face of some of our modern-day theology that is so self-serving, and we need to get past that. Everything that we've done in many respects in the church has almost been a manipulative persuasion to bait people with the idea that your best life is at the center of God's kingdom. <laughs> and I just want you to know, Jesus on a cross is at the center of God's kingdom. And the nature of sacrifice should be the expression of our lives. And so that brings us to this fourth central idea, consistently submitting. Submission is not something that is a common word that we would uh, talk about in the day in which we live. So that in and of itself is a bit of a challenge to break that down in a way that we can comprehend and understand what submission is all about. It's not uh, an exciting term to embrace in the society in which we live, but consistently submitting to God's desires. And what this really is all about is community. Everybody just say community. It's such a, uh, such a great word, a true revelation of Trinity God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is community God, and you and I are created in the image of community God. Therefore, community is a very uh, necessary element of our enriched existence. And if we don't understand that, then we just feel endorsed to live an isolated life uh, as would be the case in our society, the common idea of just such individualism. And we are incomplete without Jesus. How many know that's true? And we are incomplete without each other. It is not good for man to be alone. Don't forsake your, the assembling of yourselves together. That's why we gather like this, that we might press in to know who Jesus truly is. So consistently submitting is really all about community, connection, and I want to use these words very specifically, deep spirited friendship. There is a level of friendship that we can experience with other believers who are spiritually alive that you cannot experience with people who are not spiritually alive. You've got to understand this. We, the church, are spiritually alive. Like people are alive, kind of like 
the, the world is alive, kind of like Adam and Eve were alive in the garden after they sinned. They were alive in existence, but they were not spiritually alive. And then Jesus came to revive that and restore that and redeem that. And, and when, when we receive Christ and we embrace the work of the cross, something in us comes to life in greater measure than what we can comprehend in the natural realm of mere existence. That's truly living what I'm talking about. And when you start to, to realize this, it just enhances everything about what life is really uh, supposed to be for all of us, for everyone around us. God wants your life to be awesome. That's the truth. But remember that truth always comes with a trick. He doesn't want you to pursue an awesome life for yourself. He wants you to provide an awesome life for others. And that's what will make your life awesome. And that's where we go wrong with our modern day theology. We forget that part. We just get focused on God just wants our life to be awesome. We don't realize we're supposed to be serving him and serving others as a way of life. I want you to hear the deep-spirited friendship revelation that comes from this text of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is the text that you hear me reference often when I say uh, God didn't love us back, he loved us first. And then our response determines his reach in our lives. And if we don't respond to his love, then his reach is very limited, and we never come to true life and what God intends that to be. Verse 10 again, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word in a way that it helps produce something in an atmosphere that awakens us as sons and daughters to live a more flourishing life in a way that releases God's kingdom in the earth out of a true revelation of sacrifice and surrender that we would carry in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So you get the essence of this text in Scripture. Dear friends, love one another. God loved you, so love one another. God loved you, so love each other. You, you, you hear it. God loved you, so love each other. In fact, it goes so far as to give clarity that it's the very love of God that's awakened within you that God wants to use to love other people. It's his love through you that embraces the lives of those around you. And that's why I, I say Jesus is way nicer than I am. He's, he's, I mean, when you talk about kindness and love and generosity, I just don't have time for the things that really matter to God sometimes. Can anybody relate to this? 
I mean, I remember, uh, and I've shared this story so many times, but I'm storming across this campus. We were trying to get this building built. I had 15 major things going on. I mean, family crises, situations that needed my attention, a contract that needed to be signed that I didn't know how we were going to pay for it to make the next step in getting here. I mean, it was a wild day. My heart was pounding. I was under a tremendous amount of stress, and I walked by this kid standing in a hallway, and he's you know, banging his head against the wall, and he said, I forgot my homework and the door's locked. Can you let me in? Long story short, I just said, no, I'm sorry. I don't have keys to all the doors, and went on, and the Lord, in just a few moments, began to deeply convict me because I actually did have a key to the door. In, in fairness, I didn't realize it because I don't have keys to all the doors, but then, then I remembered that I actually did have a key to the door, and, and I just kind of dismissed the kid because I had so many big things. How many of you sometimes you have too many big things going on to worry about little people all around you. I mean, how Christian is that? And I just sat there, and the Lord kept on talking to me about it, and finally I just said, I said, Lord, I know he needs his homework, but I mean, like, I, I've got all this stuff, and it was like God looked down, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you had all this stuff going on, I didn't mean to interrupt. And he just kept having this conversation until finally I went and let that kid in to get his homework and the kid like was praying and asking God to open the door when I ran the corner. It was really a beautiful moment for him and his faith, to be honest with you. And I just thought, I would have missed that had I just been distracted and not paid attention to the kindness of the Lord. He is much nicer than I am and that is the hope for my friends and family and people around me that I learned to surrender more to him. If you say amen, that means me too, right? We agree. We agree. We need Jesus. I mean, we desperately need Jesus. This is much more about submitting to God's love, consistently submitting to God's desires. This is much more about submitting to God's love than it is about committing to God's love. There's a big difference in those two. You need to understand the difference in those two is huge. And so you can commit yourself to something without submitting to the Lord's agenda and get yourself in a lot of trouble. Has anyone ever done that before? Success in the wrong direction is the most painful form of torture you can ever experience because you've succeeded at doing something and you realize I did the wrong thing. And so what we want to learn is submission prior to commitment and so we've created this word and we call it submission, commitment comes together, submitment. And what you do is you submit before you commit, and really this is submission before commitment, producing submitment in our lives. It's just the essence of what we see in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So I want to take you down a very challenging journey today particularly in the climate that we live in. We need to, we need to think about this. I, I first just want to recognize um, Travia. Are you over here, Travia? There you are. Um, hard for me to see with these lights blinding me. But man, I just want to say thank you for the video that you prepared that we were able to see when we first started. Powerful. Thank, come on, let's really just declare it in Jesus' mighty name. We... We want to address the division that exists in our world. And we as Christians are really good at addressing divisions in sectors 
in which we are comfortable. In November of 2008, dozens of prominent white nationalists gathered in a hotel in Memphis to discuss the national crisis that was taking place in America. America had elected its first black president. These were major influencers in the KKK movement of international proportion. But the star of the show in this particular gathering, his name was Derek Black, and they called him The Heir. He was a young man, actually a college student in Florida, and he had grown up with hate ingrained in his life and had been groomed to take over David Duke's position, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK. He'd given, Derek had given his life to the purity and the protection of the white race, keeping his identity secret from all of his co-ed friends. He'd sneak out of his dorm and go and host his radio broadcast spewing hate, a vast proportion. Now how can a 19-year-old student be so consumed with hate that that would become his life? And I want you to seriously think about this question. Is there any hope for someone like the heir, Derek Black? Is there any hope? Maybe an even more challenging question is, is there any hope for you and for me to actually be able to learn to love somebody like Derek Black, who represents everything contrary to that which we know is the heart of Jesus Christ. See, in today's world, you and I are increasingly exposed to people's ideologies, <laughs> to people and their ideologies, in ways the previous generation never ever experienced. People used to gather and dwell together without apps and social media, and so we, the humanity could kind of dwell together safely with outsiders on the outside, and we could come together in these safe spaces of class, of race, of religion, of all the things that comfort us, because there's a certain psychological ease that comes with being surrounded by people who are a lot like you. Would we all agree with that? And so understanding all of that, previous generations had the privilege of gathering with the outsiders staying on the outside and never really ha allowing them to invade our lives. But all this connectivity exists now, doesn't it? And what if this connectivity is actually all part of God's plan 
to reach every nation and every tribe and every tongue for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as the church have the privilege of rising up in a moment in time to learn not how to commit ourselves to express or reflect the love that we know from God, but to actually submit ourselves to allow an even more love, an even greater love than we could ever possibly commit to as we submit to the love of Jesus Christ through our surrendered available lives. It preaches beautifully. It even amens pretty well. But it's got to land on us personally in moments that are incredibly uncomfortable or we just kind of shout at a sermon and walk out of this room and nobody gets changed. I read this this past week and I just thought it was so interesting. A man in New York City shared this experience. He said, I was taking my taxi, uh, taking a taxi to my office which happens to be next to this amazing fast food chicken place. Distracted, I finally gave in and broke into conversation with the driver, somebody very unlike me. The man shared a story of immigration to America. He was an incredibly well-educated man with advanced degrees, a member of the upper middle class of his old community, but he was forced to flee because of political persecution. His credentials were not recognized in the United States, so he was working to redo degrees that he already worked so hard to accomplish. A taxi driver was the best employment he could find in this season of his life, driving other people around while carrying another life of incredibly vast potential that existed within him. It was a powerful conversation, and he went from a statistic of immigration to a portrait of humanity right before my eyes. The humanizing of a people group took place in my heart in that moment. As we pulled up in front of my office, I asked, what are you doing for the next 30 minutes? To which he responded, working. And I said, if you keep the meter running, could you let me buy some amazing chicken and we have lunch right here in your cab? Seriously, he replied. He explains, for 30 minutes in a taxi in New York, This other became a brother, and this stranger became a friend. I really want to talk to you about what I believe to be one of the most powerful tools of transformation God has entrusted to our care. Consistently submitting to God's desires as a way of life postures us to experience, you see see this, to experience the table. Relationship on a deeper level with people around us. Jesus died that we might come to the table of the Lord. The table is a sacred place for every family. We've, we've, we've reduced this to fast food in the minivan as a way of life. But there's something so valuable, so precious, so scientifically proven about the necessity of the table in a household unit. It's a sacred, sacred place where incredible transformation happens in the lives of our children and in our lives together when we learn to value the table. It's not that you can do it all the time, but purpose some sacred moment at the table on a regular routine basis, some kind of family night, something around the table. 
And I love this, Lance Ford wrote, if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to their neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine actually having a meal with people that you don't agree with politically and being able to get past that because you're not that shallow? Can you imagine that? I'm, I'm a little exhausted with it. How about you? I'm standing, I bumped into somebody yesterday in a store I don't normally go into. I mean, not like Victoria's Secrets or anything, but you know, like a store. Far north, it's just I was in a different part of town. I happened to bump into somebody, and I'm standing there, and, and we're talking, and, and they said, hey, how are things going at the church? How are things going at the school? Are you guys online? Are you on campus? And I said, no, we're on campus, and, and, and a, a parent behind this person said, uh, those kids don't learn when they're not on campus. And, and I was just like, well, you know, I actually agree with what she's saying, but who is she, and who invited her to our party? And I want to have a conversation with somebody I've not seen in so long. And she would not shut up. If you're online right now, please don't do that anymore. I couldn't believe it. she just kept going and kept going. And she went right into her full-on political rant. And I finally just looked at the person that I was trying to talk to. And I said, hey, it's great to see you. I'm sorry, but I've got to go. Uh, we'll talk another time. And as I leave, they, I mean, she's just still going. Come on. Have you lost perspective so much that you can't even be Christ-like because your political views go deeper than your theological views? I'll wait. You ought to clap that in. We ought to post that online. <laughs> Dr. Mead said when I walked through here this morning, he said, are you going to chew us out today? <laughs> he didn't know what I was going to say. I said in the most loving possible way. hospitality. We can eat our way in the kingdom of God. Think about it. Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Here he is eating. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed in the home of Simon during a meal. Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Big meal going on at that time. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns Pharisees and teachers of the, of the law at a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their comfortable friends. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 22, it's the Last Supper. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is risen and he's having a meal with his disciples. I mean, you know, Jesus is always eating. Always eating. Be careful because if you eat like Jesus but don't walk like Jesus, you will look like Buddha. <laughs> Jesus is always eating. It, all, it always seemed that Jesus was either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or sitting down to have a meal, 
And I, I just love it that he, unlike us in our common uh, ideology, he it was not like our culture's hospitality, only focusing on people that were like us. Jesus' hospitality, I love this declaration, scandalously unconditional. Jesus clearly knew that the Pharisees looked upon the Gentiles and called them dogs. Yet he still invited them to the table, inviting himself into their table. Jesus humanized those dismissed as outsiders, fully realizing that the Pharisees didn't like anything that was going on. But Jesus tore those barriers down, addressing these religious mechanisms that created such division in the world, that withheld the love of God from people who so desperately needed it the most. He tore those barriers down, and he extended this outrageous welcome to the outsiders, to the unwelcome, to the unlovable, to people who held opinions that greatly differed from him. And this invitation from God still echoes in the world today, and we are an expression of that echo of the loving, gracious nature of God Almighty who invites every person in, no matter how much they hate, to understand the love of God that will transform their life. Now, what God did for you, that's what he asks you to do for others. Hear it, hear it. Just listen to it from the standpoint of what I'm preaching. Ephesians 2, 11 to 12. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles were separate from Christ. You were separate. You were excluded from citizenship. You were an outsider. Uh, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. That's who we were. We were the outsiders. We didn't belong. We didn't have an invitation. We didn't have a welcome. Nobody helped us to feel loved. Nobody helped us to feel embraced. But Jesus showed up and he said, I'm about to change the order of what is taking place. And I'm not just going to change the order in the moment, but I'm going to change the order for the rest of, of, of the legacy of humanity. And I'll awaken this love in the hearts and the lives of my sons and daughters and every generation to come. Will we respond to that kind of love today? In the story of redemption, we are the outsiders, and God's perfect love casts out fears, turning strangers into sons and into daughters. This is why hospitality is so central, such a central part of the teaching of the Torah. Just Again, we read these verses and don't necessarily frame them in this context, and it's vitally important that we understand Exodus twenty two twenty one. do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. That's where you used to be. So with the same love that reached you, let that love through you reach others. Leviticus 19, and 34, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them, love them as yourself. We'll hear that phrase later from Jesus. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In fact, the Bible actually says consider outsiders when it comes to your economic practices. What? 
Leviticus 19, 9 to 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. The children of Israel were to conquer their fear and address their prejudice by showing hospitality to outsiders because this is the way their gracious God treated them. Which leads me back to the heir, Derek Black. College didn't go well for Derek. Word got out. His his, uh, college students, friends, found out who he truly was and what he truly stood for. One person set out to investigate Derek's secret hidden life and began to post on a message board something that went absolutely viral. Derek recalled, I spent hours reading post after post, more than a thousand pages, saying, this guy does not represent us. This guy is not welcome here. He heard all the hate he had expressed now coming back at him. But Matthew Stevenson, interestingly, was an Orthodox Jewish student on this same campus. And he had actually started a Friday night Shabbat. And in doing so, he was just trying to expose people to Jewish culture. Most of the people that he had that would come to this particular Friday night meal would be curious Christians wanting to know more about the culture and the history of the Jews and what the Sabbath was really about. Sometimes he would have atheists that just wanted to have a a greater intellectual understanding experientially speaking. Matthew decided to invite the heir, the hater of Jews, (laughs) I mean, are you you putting all this together? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you you have an inner conflict in you when I'm talking to you right now? Because I certainly did when I was reading this. He decided he's going to invite Derek to attend this Friday night meal. Shunned and alone. Derek had very few options, so he decided to attend. The group was nervous. Derek shows up, walks into the house takes a seat, conversation begins, week after week, month after month, conversation after conversation, Derek continues to come back, and slowly his views began to change because of the power of a table. Derek would actually later renounce white nationalism and issue public apologies for all the pain that he caused because of his hateful speech. A Jew and a white supremacist. Are you hearing me? God, would you just do something in our hearts today to help us understand what it is you're desiring to reveal? A Jew and a white supremacist encountered the power of the table in a way that it pulled somebody out of hate and literally spared him from eternity in hell. 
Do we understand the consequences that are at stake? Are we too given to our political agenda to really understand the theology of love and the resurrected Christ who wants to love people through us? Is that where we are? Is that where we dwell? The power of the table. Our biggest problem started in the very beginning when Adam and Eve had a meal and they did not include God. Jesus came and it's all about the meal. In the conclusion, it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you hearing this? The three favorite phrases people love to hear. I love to share this. All around the world, not just in America, three favorite phrases people love to hear. Number one, I love you. Number two, you're forgiven. Number three, let's eat. It's a great phrases. For God so loved the world, I love you, that he sent his son Jesus, you're forgiven. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open his heart and allow me in, I'll sup with him and he with me. Let's eat. The three things we long for most in humanity are the three areas that God reached into our lives. If we can just learn to embrace this trilogy of revelation, I love you, forgiven. Let's see, how much will the power of hospitality transform the world in which we live? Would you stand with me as the worship team comes? Wow, 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 wow. The atmosphere is changing now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is changing now. God's addressing some deeper issues that exist, maybe, than any of us truly realize or understand. You were an outsider, an enemy to God, but he loved you anyway. You didn't hold his views, but he loved you anyway. You voiced things that were very contrary to God's beliefs, but he loved you anyway. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we were God's enemies. Let's just be clear. The Bible makes this absolutely clear. We were God's enemies but were reconciled to him through the death of his son. In other words, we were enemies of God fighting against God, but we surrendered to Christ. Rather than fighting, we surrendered, and when we surrendered, we became sons, and we became daughters, and we're now part of the Jesus team. Now we're the beat of the Jesus movement in the earth. I know I've tampered a little bit on political territory and some people might be upset spare us the hate mail because I just want you to know whether you feel like your man left our office or you feel like your man made it into our office I just want you to know my man never left the office and my man never will leave the office because my man is King Jesus and the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And I believe that you and I have a greater hope than any political structure could ever offer.
Lord, I pray that you would help us make sense of all this. That somehow we would understand your desire is for us to live in such a place of fellowship with God that our preferences simply take a secondary seat to the cross of Jesus Christ that deserves everything about our attention and our affection. Forgive us where we've tried to prioritize our faith, where we've tried to prioritize Jesus, as if you're one of the many priorities in our lives that we try and keep at the top of the list. Help us to understand you're not like a vitamin that we take to supplement our lives. You are like oxygen that we breathe, and without you there is no life. We invite you, Lord, to take us deeper into a true revelation of Christ. In the name of Jesus, a true revelation of Christ. A a place of great fellowship where we are consistently submitting to God's desires. (laughs) Allowing you to have control of who we are. Let's just prepare our hearts for communion, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Before I give any instruction or direction about how we'll do this, just prepare your heart, would you? Maybe, maybe in your in your life, today is the day where you say, you know, the gospel suddenly makes sense. <laughs> suddenly I understand something about who God is and who Jesus is that I haven't understood before. Maybe in this moment, if that's what you're thinking and sensing, maybe God's revealing his love to you in a way that he's desiring you to respond so that you can step into the kingdom of God and become a mighty force of his love in the universe, releasing his kingdom on the earth. Maybe it's your starting point, whether you're on our online campus, you're here in person, maybe it's a starting point for you today. And you say, I need to surrender to the love of Jesus because he died on the cross because he loved me. Maybe you're here and you say, I just have to admit, I hate. I mean, maybe you wouldn't say it so strongly. Maybe you're somewhere in between, but there are issues of hate. Maybe you're here and you say, there are issues of hate that exist in my heart. And I've tried to hold the outsider out and I've come to my own conclusions that definitely would not let certain people in. And I want to repent of that. Maybe you're somewhere in between all of that spectrum, but I just want to say, if you'll join me today and we will surrender to the cross of Jesus Christ, would you just posture your hands in a place of surrender? As we just say together as a family, Lord, take us deeper into a revelation of Christ. God, take us deeper into a greater awareness of your love. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You came, you lived, and you died, but you're alive. You're who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world. Forgive us where we have allowed our hearts to be hardened against you. Lord, we just want to respond to you, and we acknowledge that we need you so deeply beyond our wildest understanding. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you give him praise? If you agree with that prayer, just receive. God is taking us deeper today. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to know your action point before I dismiss you to get elements. So so 
Here's your action point. We bring God's presence to real life. That's what we do. And your action point is I want to ask you to go out of your way to purpose some expression of hospitality this week to someone that is purposefully out of your way as you enlarge the reach of God's love. Like somebody that you might not normally reach out to. That's your assignment. How many of you will do that? How many of you will take that assignment for this week? Can I just see? Bring God's presence to real life. We'll bring action to our faith, to our belief, to his word, to what he's stirring. In Jesus' name.